أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد سيد الأولين والآخرين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين رب الشرح الصدري ويسر لي أمري وحل الأقرة من لساني يفقه قولي وبرز الله سبحانه وتعالى Send peace and blessings upon our beloved Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, upon his companions, his family, and those who follow them until the end of time. Uh, brothers and sisters, a warm uh, assalamu alaikum <coughs> wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to each and every one of you. Before I get started, uh, just a, a reminder that we lost a number of community members in a fire in the Bronx. Uh, and we know based on hadith that these people, inshallah, are shaheed. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, bless them, to accept them, to bring comfort to their families under an incredibly difficult situation. And we saw uh, the exemplary character of some of their family members, subhanAllah, showing such resilience. Um, and then also those of us who live in New York thinking about how we can can organize around making sure that the people in the Bronx uh, are taken care of and looked after. This is a, a responsibility uh, that we all, uh, you know, collectively share in as New Yorkers. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive them and to accept them and to bring uh, khair uh, to their families uh, and, and to unite them, inshallah, in this life and the next. The topic, alhamdulillah, that we're going to be talking about today is about the Qur'an and I've divided this into a number of different lectures. Um, it would not be possible to address some of these things in like an hour. Um, and I'm thinking that it will be over a period, sort of like last week, um, we only had time to really get through the foundational principles of understanding eschatology in Islam. Uh, so I'm looking at this to be a series of probably three over a period of time lectures. Tonight is going to be sort of an overview that focuses on really the main um, doubt, if you will, that people have when it comes to the Qur'an. Then the next would be on the history of the Mus'haf of Uthman, radiallahu anhu, the Qur'anic manuscript of Uthman and its history. And then the third would be on the Tin Qira'at and their Asanid uh, and their authenticity. I, I am someone who, as a, a side study, my, my major study was in Islamic law, but Alhamdulillah, I was lucky to have memorized the Qur'an and then to study the Qira'at with the Mashaykh, Alhamdulillah, and receive different Ijazat and different Qira'at. I'm not saying that to brag, but I do think there also has to be a healthy meritocracy in, in the community when it comes to religious knowledge. And what I'm seeing is a post-colonial takeover of the Muslim mind so that we are actually adopting the critical narratives of other religions within our own religion. But our ulama are not like the scholars of Christianity or Judaism. Our religion is not the religion. His, history of our religion and our scholarship has a different framework, a different approach, uh, a different set of ways of doing things. So sometimes when we're surrounded by 
systems and frameworks that are foreign to our own, we inadvertently adopt those frameworks and then sort of try to re-inject them into our own situation. And this is like, this is a colonialization of the mind. So I say that because we have to respect expertise. We are a community that appreciates expertise. At the same time, we don't create like an impenetrable wall where we cannot ask questions or engage. And this is a mistake of some religious teachers out there. This authoritarian um, framework also is not something that we find in the life of the Prophet So I just say that just so people will appreciate the fact that this is something that I've studied and put hours of my life into and actually continue to read um, different uh, qira'at uh, to, to my teachers. So again, we're going to be talking about a number of things, but tonight just a basic overview, uh, but it will get a little technical. And then the next, we'll talk about the history of the Mus'haf of Sayyidina Uthman, radiallahu anhu, the sixth Mus'ahib that he had sent, according to the stronger opinion, around the Muslim world. And then we're going to talk about the Tin Qira'at. And I may actually start it the other way. The next lecture may be on the Tin Qira'at. And then at the end, we talk about the Mus'haf of Uthman, thinking about in the science of Hadith, how we don't start with the beginning of the Sanad, we start with the end of the Sanad. Because the beginning of any Sanad is the Prophet Insha'Allah. So let's see how it goes. And I ask Allah to uh, give us all tawfiq, insha'Allah, and sadat, alhamdulillah, and to have a strong conviction uh, with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, this is like a really great thing. You know, the Prophet said, whoever in a hadith, which is Hassan from Tirmidhi, whoever the book Allah of Allah keeps them too busy to make dua, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will answer their duas. We know also in an authentic hadith, the Prophet said, has chosen friends, and the chosen friends of Allah are the people of the Quran. And we know that the Prophet said also, the best of you are those who learn and teach the Quran. And we know that Sayyidina Muhammad alayhi salatu wassalam in numerous narrations said, Iqra'ul Qur'an, recite the Qur'an, fa'innahu yati yawm al-qiyamah, it will come on the day of judgment as an intercessor for you. Sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa I also want to say that it's not, it's nothing wrong with feeling doubts. The, the problem with doubts is when we fail to address them. We know in the hadith in Sahih Muslim that a man, he came to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wa Sahbihi Wa Sallam and he said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, there's something occurring in my heart that I'm scared to mention. It's, it's too evil to mention, more or less the wording. And the Prophet said, are you sure? Are you sure? He said, yes. He said, sarihul iman. This is the, the epitome of iman, right? That battle. And there's nothing wrong, and unfortunately there is a climate, and this is also falling on, on some teachers uh, out there, um, that doesn't encourage people to ask questions or to engage. But we know that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, indeed, the remedy for any illness is to ask a question. So I want to make sure that everyone here feels comfortable uh, I by no means am trying to intimidate or bully anyone or to push anyone down. Uh, I want to encourage you to ask your questions. If I know some answers, I'll share them. 
And keep in mind that this is actually more like a mini-series instead of a movie. So we plan to go through a number of parts and tonight is going to be kind of an introduction to some of the foundational um, things that are, are sort of leading uh, to some of the interesting discussions we find amongst content providers and those who are not trained uh, in the Qiraat. And the sign that they're not trained in the Qiraat is the way that they approach it and their lack of mentioning uh, references that would exhibit that they are grounded in this field of study. So let's begin, insha'Allah. We begin bi-tawfiqillah. We ask Allah bi-tawfiq, insha'Allah. Um, one of the norms that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has established in this universe and his creation and through the sending of the prophets is that he did not send a prophet except that prophet spoke the language of his people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran after a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim wa ma arsalna min rasoolin illa bilisani qawmih we did not send a messenger except with the lisan of his people with the language of his people. And also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, فَإِنَّمَا يَسَّرْنَاهُ بِلِسَانِكَ لِتُبَشِّرَ بِهِ الْمُتَّقُونَ وَتُنْذِرَ بِهِ قَوْمًا And Allah says in the Qur'an that we did not facilitate this for you with your speech, the Arabic language, the Qur'an, except that you could bring glad tidings to the, the obedient and you could warn, uh, warn uh, your people or the people. And also Allah says in the Qur'an, فَإِنَّمَا يَسَّرْنَاهُ بِلِسَانِكَ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَذَكَّرُونَ In Surah Maryam, uh, indeed we did not make this or facilitate this through your speech. And The Qur'an, through the Arabic language, through the Prophet except that people would be able to think and ponder on it. And it's important, and we're going to talk about this soon, that to note that there were a number of dialects that existed in the Arabic language, some say seven, some say twelve, some say more, during the time of the Prophet And because of that, we, we find another important principle that will begin our discussion in the Qur'an. So the first, the Qur'an is sent in the language of Arabic as a means of facilitation. And that the Prophet ﷺ, every Prophet was sent with the language of his or her people. And that there were a number of different um, lahajat in the time of the Prophet in the Arabian Peninsula. For example, the name Hadami, it's the name of a woman. Uh, Banu Tamim, they, they would always say Hadami, regardless of where the word was in the sentence. إِذَا قَالَتْ Hadami, فَصَدِّقُوهَا فَإِنَّ الْقَوْرَ this poem, this famous poem, mentioned by Ibn Hisham. So they would always say, Hadami, Hadami, Hadami. Whereas the people of Hijaz, the people of Mecca, and this area in Medina and so on, they would say, Hadamu, Ida qadat Hadamu, Fasadiquha. So here we see the same language, but a different in dialect. This is important because. When the Qur'an is revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, it comes with these different dialects. As recognized and authenticated through revelation. And we're going to talk about this in detail. And this leads us to a very important principle. That's why one of my teachers used to say, if somebody were to study the Qira'at, 
they will understand the remedies for the Ummah and for humanity. SubhanAllah. If somebody were to study the different Qiraat, they will learn how to navigate some of the challenges we find in the Ummah of the Prophet as well as humanity. And one of these is that, and this is our second point, that Islam tolerates cultural differences when they do not violate the Sharia. The first PhD done in the Azhar in 1922 by Abu Sunnah was on culture and Islam. And we know that Islam Sharia designates culture as Mubah, the foundational engagement for Al-A'raf between norms and, and things like this that people experience, whether it's the language, whether it's their dress code or whatever, is largely understood to be permissible unless it violates a foundation of the Sharia. And included in this is language. And depending on the degree of the violation, it could be disliked, it could be haram, it could be forbidden. We have numerous, numerous, numerous narrations that teach us this. For example, on a positive side, the hadith of Jibreel. When Sayyidina Jibreel came to the Prophet ﷺ, he wore the clothes of the Arabs. And we know that angels do not disobey Allah. So when Sayyidina Jibreel, he came to the Prophet in the famous hadith of Gabriel, he's wearing the clothes of the people. So we understood from this, Al-Aslu fil ayad wal a'raf ibaha, that the foundation in engaging different cultures and, and different cultural practices is permissibility. This is very important, especially when you hear some people say that Islam uh, tries to enforce a monoculture, or you find even sometimes Muslims online saying, Islam has nothing to do with culture. La, ya sheikh. Islam designates culture and cultural norms as permissible, first and foremost, the default, unless they violate the Sharia. And the example, and this is one, is Sayyidina Jibreel when he came to the Prophet ﷺ in the famous hadith of Abu Huraira, Sayyidina Umar, and others. He was wearing the clothes of the people around the Prophet ﷺ. And he spoke the language of the people, the lisan of the people. An example of where Islam prohibits uh, problematic culture are the different types of marriage that existed before the time of the Prophet's message, as mentioned in the long hadith of Abu Dawood from Sayyidina Aisha, who talks about the different ways that people got married before the time of prophethood and how those different ways were made forbidden by prophethood. So here we see two examples, one where a, a cultural norm is left alone, and the second is where a cultural norm that violates the rules of Sharia is sanitized, if you will, and realigned to be in accordance with Islam. This also applies to those different dialects and we'll talk about those in the future, that were around when the Prophet ﷺ, his message started, and how the Qur'an is revealed, encapsulating and capturing some of those different dialects. And that takes us to the third point, that Islam facilitates learning faith and having a relationship with Allah This is actually a very important point. And one of the challenges of the current era is that Muslims have begun to supplement 
religious nomenclature with political nomenclature, following the people around us. So now you find Muslims getting divorced over being Republican or Democrat. You find Muslim brothers or sisters who used to be friends, now they don't even speak to each other based on political differences. I mean, we're, we already had enough differences. Do we need to add secular differences into theological differences? Do we need to amplify and aggravate the differences of the Muslim community anymore? And one of the reasons for that is we forgot that our major purpose and our major role after worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to bring people to Tawheed. To the point now that people will come to me and say, I want to marry someone, but I don't want to force them to be Muslim. Why not? First of all, you cannot force Iman in anyone's heart. Their heart is between them and Allah. But the Sahaba, like Umm Sulaim, when a man approached her for marriage, he said, I, will marry, I want to marry you. She said, you can't marry me unless you embrace Islam. So he embraced Islam. And that was, she said to him, this is your mahr. Nobody questioned his heart. Nobody questioned her. Are you forcing him into Islam? But we have become so apologetic for Islam that we even apologize for da'wah. But that is not something we should apologize for. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to share the beauty and light of Islam to everyone and leave the hearts to Allah. The da'wah is not my business. So actually the Sahaba used to say about the mahr of Umm Sulaim's husband, Ni'mul Mahri Mahru Umm Sulaim, that it was the best mahr. Subhanallah, he embraced Islam and then later on he became a great Muslim. MashaAllah, he became a great Muslim. Islam is a process, not an event. So Islam facilitates learning faith. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Yuridu Allahu bikum yusra. Allah wants ease for you. He doesn't want hardship for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He wants to remove the burdens from you, the difficulties and challenges. And in describing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَيَضْعُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ That the Prophet removed the shackles from them and facilitated their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we become a community that is compromised in its frameworks, in its nomenclature, in its ideas, and adopt other ideas, we can no longer facilitate faith for people. And now, subhanAllah, we ourselves are so busy fighting over secondary issues. Vaccines have now become a religious issue for people. I, I, I believe that vaccines are important. But those people who don't, I don't agree with them. But I'm not throwing them out of Islam. Or vice versa. As though we need to add other layers and layers and layers. I may feel that's highly irresponsible and problematic. But it's still a Muslim, subhanAllah. And I'm telling you. I, I've been approached in the last two or three months by people who, who their marriages, they have, you know, mashallah, beautiful families are being eroded by these, these ideas which are somewhat foreign, right, to how we engage religiously. We should not supplement religion with other things. So Islam facilitates learning faith.
and having a relationship with Allah. And that's very important for Islamic studies teachers, mashallah, to remember. The statement of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he says, muyassiran. I was sent to make things easy for people as a teacher. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And from this vein is why the Quran is sent recognizing these different dialects of the people around the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because it wants to facilitate their learning. It does not want to place extra burdens on them. It's, as someone who embraced Islam, I can speak to this, that initially there is a lot to take in. And so that's why we find, even for those of us who aren't Arabs, the fatwa of the Marikis and the fatwa of Imam Abu Hanifa, that for somebody who doesn't have Arabic, who can't speak Arabic, who can't recite in Arabic and has embraced Islam, they are allowed to pray until they are able to do that in their own language or to make dhikr, to relieve and remove that burden, the embarrassment. I used to be shy, you know, to, 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 to engage those things. So imagine adding on to these challenges, especially of the Prophet's community, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes, they were completely lost. And they did not have really any type of understanding of organized religion as you and I understand it now. So Islam came to them, and that's why one of the companions of the Prophet said, You know, he became Muslim in Mecca, and he came to the Prophet in Medina and said, Now there's a lot of things to do, because it was difficult for them. So to facilitate the uh, acquisition of religious literacy and the practice of religious devotion, and to be able to grow into the Islam over time, the Qur'an was revealed recognizing, we're going to talk about this in greater detail in the other lectures, in these different dialects. Now we can see something remarkable about our deen, man. That it is a deen which facilitates and welcomes and engages and is dynamic. It's not stuck, but when we begin to supplement the foundations of the religion with nationality, ethnicity, language, uh, economic stratification, political nomenclature, this, 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 then we find ourselves that we are going to be far away from that dynamic beauty of Islam. Another reason for this is you and I all know that the Arabian Peninsula was a tribal community. And these different languages, as we find in some of their poems, were a source of great pride. Were a, great, a source of great pride. And to compel the Arabs to speak in one dialect would have led to tribalism and problems. In their religious vocation, in their religious, excuse me, practices, in their worship, in their liturgy, it would have created a sense of tribe, tribalism and inflamed hatred amongst them. There's so many points that can be made from this, but because I have an hour, I don't like to talk more than an hour, but I hope this can open a door. And I saw Khadija just asked an incredible question. I want this talk now to encourage critical thinking and constructive thinking. And by no means should you walk away from this having all the answers, but you should walk away from it having certainty in the preservation 
of the Qur'an because we're going to focus on that major issue that we find some people getting confused about. And I'm addressing it now. The differences in the Arab dialects were addressed by the Qur'an and welcomed by the Prophet as we'll talk about later on in the Hadith of Gabriel from Imam Tirmidhi in order to facilitate religious literacy, to ease religious devotion, and to protect from tribalism and discord. Subhanallah, subhanallah. We find this attitude taught to us by the Prophet وسلم, in a hadith related by Imam Malik and the Muatta and Imam Muslim. The Prophet وسلم, said to Sayyidah Aisha, if it wasn't that your people were new to Islam, meaning that they had not recently left Kufr and who he meant were the people of Mecca. And even though Sayyidah Aisha had been Muslim and those people had been disbelievers, and this is a different discussion, the Prophet still calls him Qawmik, your people. I would command that the Kaaba be brought down and rebuilt on the foundations of Ibrahim. Because we know that in the life of the, the Prophet in the Seerah, that the people of Mecca, they rebuilt the Kaaba on, uh, on the wrong foundations. Imam An-Nawi says something remarkable in this hadith, and he notes that here is an example of the Prophet ﷺ leaving something which seems to be good to avoid a greater harm. Leaving something which appears to be great in order to prevent discord and harm amongst the people. So I, I, I want us to appreciate when we talk about facilitation and Islam seeks to facilitate, it doesn't mean that it is going to uh, bend the haram and the halal. Of course not. But it means within the area of azaim and ruchas, between dispensation and foundational commands, Islam seeks to navigate those areas that will keep people together, facilitate worship, protect them from division and, 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 and discord. That takes us then to the fourth point, that if we think about what I just said earlier, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets and they spoke the language of their people, that Islam designates culture largely as permissible unless it contradicts a foundational text of, of Islam. And the fifth, the idea of the Qur'an recognizing these different languages, revelation itself, and coming into subhanAllah, uh, honor these different lahajat, as we'll talk about and give examples in a minute, inshaAllah in order to facilitate a relationship with Allah. That takes us then to the next principle, and that is that Islam seeks to benefit and prevent harm. This is actually the foundation. We did a class on this last year when we read the text of Izzyadin Abdul Salam, Kawa'id al-Sughra, that Islam seeks to benefit and prevent harm. That's why Sayyidina Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu he said that every time Allah says, Oh, you who believe, after that either is an order that's bringing benefit or a command that's preventing you from harm. Every time. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, Oh, you who believe, fasting has been prescribed for you so that you will achieve taqwa. It's bringing benefit. Oh, you who believe, don't ask about things if made known to you will harm you, preventing harm. So the foundational edifice of sharia in its totality is Salih al-Mafasid to bring benefit and prevent harm. And you see this now in what I just talked earlier about why the Quran, as we'll talk about in detail in a second, recognizes these different dialects. And for that reason, the Quran was sent in different dialects to avoid unnecessary differences and to facilitate what's important 
learning and worship. In fact, we see this. Sometimes people come and they're in love with one another, mashallah, and their parents object because their second language, because usually their first language, first language is English, English, but their second language may be a different dialect of the same language and the parents won't let them get married. Or their second language is different and the parents won't get to let them get married. They took the exit and forgot the highway. The main issue is the marriage. These kind of things can work themselves out. So the Qur'an sidesteps allowing people to fall into secondary differences in disputes in order to preserve the greater good, which is Tawheed and the Ibadah of Allah. And here, we, if we think deeply about the Qur'an and what I just said, we can see that these actually are a mandate for how we should run non-profits and how we should also run our lives. The Prophet ﷺ, it's important to note that he taught the companions the Qur'an. Nobody doubts this, alhamdulillah. The words, the verses, the pronunciation, even what's called al-mudud, the elongation. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ was taught by Sayyidina Jibreel. The Prophet ﷺ says, أَقْرَأْنِي جِبْرِيلُ عَلَى This is a very important hadith and it's long. That the Prophet ﷺ said that Jibreel taught me one harf. We'll talk about what are the harf in the future. And then he said, I ask Allah for forgiveness and blessings, but my people won't be able to handle it. So then Jibreel increased him. He said, my people won't be able to handle it. Jibreel increased it. My people won't be able to handle it. Again, we see facilitation. Until it reached sab'ah ahruf. We'll talk about in the future how sab'ah doesn't mean seven. We know the Arabs, they use certain words to show like a hyperbole. Sab'ah means more than seven. As we'll talk about, inshallah, in future lectures. But the point here is that the Prophet ﷺ is taught the Qur'an by Jibreel and ask him the ability to read in the different ahruf, the sab'a ahruf, and he teaches them. Most ulama are saying those ahruf are these different lahajat. But again, facilitation, the ability to allow people to learn religion, and to engage and come close to the religion, very similar to the hadith, if it wasn't that I feared for my ummah, I will command them to make miswak before every prayer. Similar to the Prophet starting taraweeh in congregation and then stopping it, but not forbidding it, but stopping it for himself to make it easy for his people. You see here a pattern. And this is the summary of a longer hadith that Sayyidina Jibreel taught the Prophet one harf and he said, I continue to ask him and ask him and ask him to make it easy for the community around me until we reach seven. And we're going to talk about the ahruf in the future in other lectures insha'Allah. But again, this is sort of an introduction. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu in an authentic hadith, he says, Aqra'ni Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said that the Prophet asked me to recite the Qur'an to him. In other narrations such as this, I recited the Qur'an to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So not only did the Prophet teach them, he asked them to read it back to him. And we find this in... 
too many narrations right now, but I'll mention like two of them for time. The narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, the narration of Sayyidina Ubay ibn Kaab, and others, Aqra'ani Rasulullah. The Prophet ﷺ told me to recite the Qur'an to him. So I recited it to him. So not only did he teach, alayhi salatu wasalam, he had them recited to him. As he was taught by Sayyidina Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam. And this carried over into the Tabi'een. We find the hadith of Abu Taym al-Jayshani who says, Qara'ani Mu'adh al-Qur'an. Sayyidina Mu'adh asked me to recite the Qur'an to him. To Sayyidina Mu'adh ibn Jabal. And you find actually this documented. And this is one of the concerns that I noted amongst people when they were talking about the preservation of the Qur'an. This assumption that somehow this is a secret, it's been hidden from the Muslims. That, those are other religions. So, for example, see the book of Imam al-Dhahabi, Tabaqat al-Qur'an, or Tabaqat al-Qurra, excuse me, where he examines the lives and histories of 1,244 scholars of the Qur'an, from the time of the Prophet to the time of Imam al-Dhahabi. Imam al-Dhahabi dies, uh, I believe, in the 8th century. And that text, actually you can find it in the NYU library. I found it there in two volumes. It has 17 chapters. And he says in the beginning, فَهَذَا كِتَابٌ فِي مَعْرِفَةِ الْمَشْهُرِينَ That this book collects, you know, the most popular, well-known reciters of the Qur'an from all over the world. Those who are known to have correct isnad and to be excellent in their recitation. Subhanallah, 1244 people, and he goes through each of their lives and examines who they were. You find also the book of uh, Abdul Wahid al Shafi'i, uh, also who dies in the 7th century, who collects in great detail the history of the famous seven Imams of Quran. We're going to talk about them in the future. And then, of course, you have the Imam Ibn Jazari in Al Tayyibah, which is a great poem, mashallah. Uh, over a thousand lines, who mentions each of these a'imma and their asanid, these different imams of the Qur'an, and examines and presents their chains of narration. And it's very important for us to realize that in large part, the Western Academy, and specifically the European Academy, do not believe in the idea of riwayah, nor do they believe in the idea of asanid. But it's interesting that all of the books they use to quote about the Qur'an are coming from us and are based on riwayat and asanid. So that should be sufficient enough for you to be like, what? And that largely their uh, assumptions, and we're going to address one today, are based on suspicion. But not the historical record or the academic record. But the problem is accepting the academic record from a culture outside of Europe or in our case, the U.S. So Imam Ibn Jazari, in around 1,015 lines, he details the major imams, the seven, uh, actually more than seven, of, of Qur'an and their asanid. And of course, we have Sayyidina Imam al-Shatibi, who mentions, MashaAllah, Jazallahu bil khayrati anna a'immatan lana naqal qur'ana adban wa salsala فَمِنْهُمْ بُدُورٌ قَدْ تَسَوَّدَتْ سَمَاءُ الْعُلَىٰ 
Wal'adli zuhran wa kamula. Sayyidina Imam al-Shatabi mentions these seven Imams. And this is actually interesting. And there are two students. Lahu laha shubuhun an has tanawarat wa nawarat sawadat duja hatta tafarraqa wanjala. And you can hear him reading. It's a poem that I, I had to learn. But he mentions here those Imams and their students. And then Sayyidina Shatabi does something very important. He mentions the different foundational rules that cause these differences in the Qira'ah that we're going to talk about in a second. And then he goes through every chapter of the Qur'an and every verse of the Qur'an where there is a difference, he notes the difference and usually what he does is like computer science, he uses a letter to represent the Imam who has that opinion. So for example, in Surah Al-Fatiha, uh, he says, وَمَارِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ رَاوِيهِ نَاصِرٌ وَمَارِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ رَاوِيهِ نَاصِرٌ We say, مَارِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ Those of you who, most of us in America, when we read uh, Surah Al-Fatiha, we say, مَارِكِ not مَارِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ like in West Africa and other places. Sayyidina Shatibi, he says, He says, Malik is read by Nasir. Who is Nasir? Imam Asim and Imam Al-Kisai. Noon. And, and, and imagine, uh, and, and, and uh, Saad, imagine subhanAllah, he did this for the whole Qur'an. More than 1,000, I think in 66 lines, if I remember correctly. Imam al-Shatibi does this with the entire Qur'an. The differences and the letter for each Imam. And for your information, Imam al-Shatibi was blind. So the, the idea that Islam, Islamic, the, the academics of Islam from years ago and centuries past were barbarians, there was no academic system. This is something imported from other religions' history, but our religion isn't like that. Our religion isn't like that. Our religion's history is very different. And, and if we were to take, uh, uh, you know, a different operating system and try to analyze Islamic history with it, we're going to have problems. And Imam Shatibi mentions the effort he made towards preserving these different recitations that carry these different dialects of the Qur'an that were from those Arabs around the Prophet. And he says, you know, I have worked hard to preserve each one of these letters, readings in a simple, easy poem for you to learn. By the end of the first century and in the second century after the migration of the Prophet ﷺ, we started to see a term used, the qira'ah of such and such. Qira'ah of such and such. Let's talk about the word qira'ah because this is sometimes where the confusion lies. When the word qira'ah is used, it's understood to be an authenticated chain. Back to the Prophet unless is it, it is designated, and we're going to talk about this also in the future, as Shadha week. So the Qira'ah of Nafi', the Qira'ah of Abi Amr, the Qira'ah of Ibn Kathir, the Qira'ah of Kisa'i, the Qira'ah of Hamza. When those words begin to appear, the word Qira'ah was used in the science of the Qur'an, like the term Sahih 
is used in the science of hadith. And that's where it becomes very important. And the word qira'a does not mean something that someone invented or made ijtihad in. That word qira'a. And that's why one of our teachers used to say the relationship to the Qur'an with the Qari is a relationship of a sanad and an action. Meaning like an authentic chain back to the Prophet ﷺ that talks about doing a certain thing. We understand also the, the Qari means this is an authentic chain on how the Prophet and the companions of the Prophet ﷺ read the Qur'an, not ijtihad or a choice. Where did that come from? Where did the initial theory that some of the Qurra made ijtihad, they used their own personal choice, or they made their own kind of, you know, calls on the qira'a? We know it is found in the Mu'tazilite school, in particular in the tafsir of Zimakhshari, especially in his criticism of Abi Amr, Al-Basri ibn al-Ala. And that's why any of the lectures or talks or writings that you read that mention that the Qurra made ijtihad or personal choices in choosing how the Qur'an is recited, and that's why we have these differences in lahajat, you'll find that it always goes back and stops with Zamakshari. Why? Because Imam Zamakhshari did this with verses of the Qur'an where the authentic recitations of the Qur'an did not agree with his theological school. So in order to defend his theological school, he rejected that qira'a and said this is ijtihad. You have to be careful and aware of these things. And that's why oftentimes the, the, the difference of the, of the Mu'tazilites are largely rooted in a subtle way of preserving their positions in theology. For example, their position on magic, their position on jinn, their position here on the qira'at. You find it always leads to preserving their theological opinions, which went against Sunni and Shia theology. There were seven major imams of the Qur'an, we call them Qurra. But actually there are ten. I'm going to mention the ten to you because in the future we're going to talk about all ten. The first is Nafi'. Imam Nafi' is Madani. Sayyidina Shatibi says, Taral Madina Tamanzila. Imam Nafi' was from Medina. And he was a student of someone named Abu Jafar. And Abu Jafar is one of the ten imams, was the sheikh of Nafi'. So these two are the Imams of Medina. The next is Abu Amr ibn Ala al-Basri and Yaqub ibn Ishaq al-Hadrami. Both of them were from Basra. Abu Amr ibn Ala, he read to the Sahaba. The fifth, Abdullah ibn Kathir from Mecca. Not Ibn Kathir the Tafsir. That's later on, uh, 7th century. But Ibn Kathir, Mecca is from the Tabi'een. He was a student of the Sahaba. The sixth, Abdullah ibn Amir al-Damashqi from Damascus, also was a student of the Sahaba. The seventh is Imam Asim, and most of you are reading with the Qira'ah of Asim through Hafs, his student. Hafs was his stepson. 
Imam Asim married a single mother. And Imam Asim also, it is said, he was blind. Subhanallah. And Shatabi says, That Sayyidina Hafs was so good and proficient in reading the Qira'ah of Asim. Why? Because of Mulazama. Because he took care of this stepson. Subhanallah, you find in the stories of the Qurra, by the way, that they made incredible sacrifices in their lives in many different ways of goodness. And those things became like a blessing, like Asim marrying a, a, a single mother, taking care of Hafs, and Hafs becomes this incredible student of Qur'an because of his stepfather. Subhanallah. Hamza and Kisa'i, and, and Imam Asim and Imam Hamza and Imam Kisa'i are called Al-Kufiyun, the scholars of Kufa. And the tenth is Khalaf ibn Hisham from Baghdad. These ten are considered the authenticated Qira'ah. And we're going to talk about them in the future in their history. So the word Qira'ah in the science of Qur'an is similar to the word Sahih in the science of Hadith, unless you say Qira'ah Shadha, which would be like a weak Hadith. The riwayah is the narration of the student of those Imams. So Hafs from Asim is the riwayah. Asim, I like to tell my students, Asim, he's awesome. Asim is awesome, he's awesome. Is the Qari. Muslims agree on the definitive, unmutable nature of these narrations. Muslim scholars, scholars of Quran. Generation from generation until our time, except for Ahlu Bid'ah, like the Mu'tazilites. And as I mentioned earlier, the only one who mentioned Ijtihad in the context of some of these narrators was Az-Zamakshari, in order to defend his school's theological positions. And in recent days, a few content providers and non-Qira'at specialists, meaning they have not studied this science by sitting on the floor with our Mashaykh, and tend to get confused in terminology and understandings. What I want to talk about now as we finish, because this is an introduction that hopefully will lead to greater discussions and more study, is the difference in the Qira'at. Because this is where we find uh, people sometimes getting confused. And you'll notice that I mentioned in the very beginning how, mashallah, the Qur'an recognized these different lahajat, uh, some of them as taught to us by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and I will give some examples, insha'Allah. But first, let's talk about the differences in the Qira'at that are rooted in this. And I'll mention the differences first, and then we'll go into the details of each. There are three different types of differences we find in the Qira'at. The first is a spelling difference, but not a difference in the meaning. So a difference in spelling, but the meaning is the same. The second is there's no difference in the words, but there's a difference in the grammar. So the same word, different grammatical tense. Like earlier I said hadhami and hadhamu with Hijaz and Bani Tamim. The third type of difference we find in the Qur'an is in word and meaning. And this is the one where we find uh, with respect, uh, I, I don't like to attack people on post or get into tit-for-tat things. I feel like 
that climate is not a healthy climate. And, and also it is better to speak with people directly to make sure that our assumptions of what they said are actually correct also. This climate of uh, TMZ Islam is not something uh, I'm a fan of. So uh, by no means am I trying to attack people, but I am trying to attack ideas. And that's a little different. Hopefully people are mature enough to see past this. So uh, our scholars, my teachers in particular, talk about three differences when it comes to the qira'at, the authentic qira'at. Number one is the spelling difference. So, but the meaning is the same. And I'm going to give examples of each. Number two is there's no differences in the word, but there's differences in the grammar. And the third, there's a difference in the spelling and the meaning, meaning the word and the meaning. So let's talk about those insha'Allah briefly. Number one, I'll give a few examples of spelling being different and the meaning being the same. The best is in Shulta Fatiha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ صِرَاطَ وَصَادِ But subhanAllah, Imam Ibn Kathir, he says, Sirat with seen. Sayyidina Shatibi says, وَمَارِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ رَاوِهِ نَاصِرُونَ وَعِنْدَ الصِّرَاتِ وَالصِّرَاتِ لِقُمْبُولًا Sirat with sad, Sirat with seen. And then, Khalad and Khalaf, we find Al-Zirat, Al-Zirat. So three authentic, mutawatir ways to read this word. Sirat, which is the, the foundational word, by the way, in the dictionary. Sarata means to swallow. La takun huluwan fatusarrat. Don't become, the Arabs say, don't be too nice to people, you'll be swallowed. And then figuratively, sirat was seen sad and ishmam, a sad and dha, was used to mean a path. Because, and I saw this when I lived in, uh, you know, my grandparents lived on a farm in Oklahoma, and I would see people walk down the road, and it was like the road swallowed them. Sirat. So here we find sirat, sirat, zirat, zirat. All three of those are authentically narrated. Back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as we'll talk about in the future, through Asanid, which are Mutawatir, back to the Sahaba, and some of the people who narrated this are students of the Sahaba. Here's an example of the spelling being different, but the meaning being the same. Sirat, 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 Zirat. Another example is the, is the verb Yahsib. Yahsib and Yahsib. It's the same verb, the same meaning, but the spelling is different. Imam Ibn Marik mentioned in his poetry on morphology, Wajhani fihi man yahsib. Imam Ibn Marik in Lamiyat al Af'ali, he said that this is one of those verbs that has two forms in Fusha, traced back to the ancient Arabs. Yahsibu annama lahu akhlada, Yahsabu. Narrated authentically from here, I'm just sticking to the Saba, the seven a'imma, with chains back to the Prophet. We're going to talk about those chains in the future. Remember, in the future, we're going to go through the history of the qira'at. 
and do those different asanid. Now is just to start to create a framework of understanding. Other examples are like bakhal and bukhal. Both of them have the same meaning, different spelling, authentic. Another example, this actually shows that the science of the Qur'an is asanid. The qira'ah of the Qur'an is asanid and dawabit al-huruf, or dabt al-harf, excuse me, the name Jibreel. The name Jibreel has too many different representations in ancient Arabic, Arabic language. The Qur'an mentions only four, but there's more than four. Jibreel, Jabril, Jabrail, Jabrail. All four mentioned, mashallah, from the Qurra back to the Prophet Wasallam. Remember, when we say Qurra, we're not talking about their ijtihad. We're talking about their preservation of what was authentically narrated to them. And we're going to talk about that in a second. The second type of difference that I talked about is that there's no difference in the word, but there's a difference in the grammar. نَزَلَ بِهِ رُوحُ And also, نَزَلَ بِهِ Al-Amina. One is marfu' one is mansub. Another example at the end of Surah Yasin, لِتُنْذِرَ and لِيُنْذِرَ to and you. There are numerous examples actually of this. And maybe somebody asks, why? Subhanallah, why? We mentioned earlier about facilitation. But also we have to appreciate that the Qur'an is the final revelation. So therefore it has to encapsulate a large number of particular situations so that the message can last until the end of time. And this is one of the hikam as we'll talk about in the qira'at in the future. But I'll give you one example. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا فَلَا تَقْرُبُوهُنَّ حَتَّى يَطْهُرْنَ don't approach your wives until they purify themselves. There's another qira'ah. حَتَّى يَطَّهَّرْنَا يَطَّهَّرْنَا what, what is the difference between the two? يَطْهُرْ means just that she washes herself after she's completed her cycle. And then her and her husband can return to conjugal relations. The other narration, Sayyidina Shu'bah, back to the Prophet, is حَتَّى يَطَّهَّرْنَا which means until she makes ghusl. So here we see as a faqih, a person has leeway. Maybe certain people, they don't have enough water. Or maybe there's some kind of challenge to, to their accessibility to water. But you want their marriage and their relationship, alhamdulillah, to stay complete and happy. So here you find the allowance just to clean. Other people, maybe they have access to water, alhamdulillah, so they can make the ghusl. So here you see the fatwa between the two. Also, sometimes the use of ya and ta, which encapsulates two things. Number one, the purpose of the Quran is a reminder, and then with ta, that each and every one of us is responsible for sharing in that reminder. So we won't say, well, you know, the Quran is here, the Quran will do it, or the Prophet will do it. You and I also share in the responsibility of the risala. So here we see subhanallah at tanaw al qiraat the the different 
styles we find in the Qira'ah passed down to us from the Prophet ﷺ encapsulate the role of the Qur'an and the Prophet and our responsibility as a prophetic community. The last we talked about are words and meaning. That the meanings and the words are different. But there's a rule here that the meanings have to complement each other so that there is no contradiction. If we find a contradiction, and this often happens when the asanid are not strong, then these are not considered qira'ah, authentic qira'ah. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nun shizuha, Talking about that donkey that was dead and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought it back to life. One is nun shiruha, we caused it to come back to life. The other qira, nun shizuha, we brought its pieces back together, like bone by bone. Both meanings are the same, that it was resurrected. One captures the meta meaning of life after death, the other, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring it back to life cell by cell and bone by bone. So again, if you think about what I talked about earlier, how the qira'ah encapsulate the meta and the micro. So you have all the pixels. Subhanallah, subhanallah. Another example of this is فَأَزَلَّهُمَا الشَّيْطَانُ عَنْهَا Surah Baqarah فَأَزَلَّهُمَا الشَّيْطَانُ the first one means that he caused him to fall into a mistake. The second qira'ah means that he took them far away from Jannah. Again, the micro and the macro. That the micro of falling into a mistake took them from the macro, which was being in Jannah. Too many examples like this, actually, and we'll talk about them in the future when we get to the history of the Qira'at and their Asanid, insha'Allah. But I just wanted to give you now a brief introduction to the different types of differences we find in the Qira'ah that are recognized by our scholars. Nobody tried to hide this from anybody, a'udhu billah. The first we said spelling is different and the meaning is the same. Sirat, zirat, sirat, for example. Jabril, Jibra'il. The next, no differences in the word, but differences in the grammar. Ruhu, Aminu, Ruha, Amina, for example. Tunzira, Yunzira. We find sometimes uh, in Surah Al Qasas, and I want you to remember this word, Haznan and Huznan. Allah SWT said that we made Musa for you, Haznan and Huznan. That's the example of the first type. The 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 uh, excuse me the the, the 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 word is the same, but the structure of the word is written. The spelling is a little different, because one means internal anguish, the other means external anguish. The micro, the macro. And the third, we said the word and the meaning are different, as long as those meanings we say اختلاف لا اختلاف that those differences help actually bring a cadence and amplification to the meanings of the Qur'an, not contradictions, because 
Some claim that the mistakes, that these things are mistakes made because the Quran was originally written without marks or grammar. We're going to talk about this when we get into the history of the Mus'haf. Thus, the words of the Quran allow for interpretation and ijtihad. Thus, the seven qirat, especially the imams, according to the this is found in, largely in the Western Academy, made ishtihad and chose what they thought was correct. Qira'ah is an outcome of doubt and choices, not from a sanid and riwayat. Back to the Prophet Sallallahu and of course the outcome of that is there is no revelation. A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim. So we're going to look at that in the future using four things. Number one is their claim does not stand up to the historical record. Number two, it doesn't stand up according to what has been authentically narrated from the Prophet and his companions. And then the fourth, the third, excuse me, is the ijma, the consensus. The historical record we're going to address in the future. We talk about the history of the Mus'haf and the history of the Qira'at in great detail. The second, the narrations of the Prophet This hadith that we mentioned earlier where Sayyidina Jibreel read with one harf to the Prophet and the Prophet asked him to continue until he reached seven. The other narration which is very important for this is the narration of Hisham ibn Hakim. From Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, who says that he heard Hisham ibn Hakim reading Surah Al-Furqan. And he says, I began to pay attention and listen to his qira'ah, فَإِذَا هُوَ يَقْرَأُ عَلَى حَرْفٍ كَثِيرًا لَمْ يُقْرِئْنِيهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ and I heard him reading in huruf that the Prophet had not asked me to read to him or or taught me. So here we see something that those different, actually Akbar, this question I'm answering now, alhamdulillah, and I answered I think also earlier that Sayyidina Umar is saying, the Prophet didn't teach me the Qira'ah that I heard Hisham ibn Hakim reading. So he said, I waited until he finished his prayer. And here we see the adab of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab. Even though something he didn't know, something he never heard before, he waited until that person had finished his ibadah. Then he came to him and he said, Man aqra'a hadihi surata lati sami'tuha, sami'tuka taqra'u. Who, who taught you this qira'a that I hear you reading? He said, Aqra'aniha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet is the one aqra'ani who taught me this qira'a. And Sayyidina Umar said, Kathabt, you're lying. Because the Prophet ﷺ taught me a qira'ah different than this qira'ah. So I took him to the Prophet ﷺ and we read to the Prophet ﷺ and 
And the Prophet said, Kadharika unzilat. This is how the Quran was sent. So again, to reiterate uh, Akbar's question, which I believe he answered in the beginning, those ten qiraat, as we'll talk about in future when we go through the history, are encapsulating these authentic ways to recite the Quran based on the Mus'haf and Khat of Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But we're going to dedicate two or three actual sessions to that, inshallah, to unpack it more. Imam Bukhari narrates that a person was reading Surah Tawbah, uh, sorry, that uh, a person was reading the Quran and they were reading it without mud. And Anas ibn Madik, he stopped the person and said, Kana yamuddu muddan. Don't read like that because the Prophet used to make it long. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also, something similar narrated in the Sunan of Imam Tirmidhi from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who heard someone reading, Innama sadaqatu lil fuqara'i wal masakin. He said, La, fuqara. He stopped him and corrected him and he said, The Prophet read it this way. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There are actually too many ahadith about this that even talk about how the Prophet would say Ameen after Surah Fatiha, authentic hadith, how the Prophet read Surah Tur, how he read Surah Qaf from the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Here are some things to think about as we go. And remember, I'm glad to see these questions, Alhamdulillah, this sort of introductory engagement with the issue. That will help us appreciate the fact that the qiraat are not from ijtihad or choices and that these differences I said earlier were things that were allowed by the Prophet and preserved through recitation, preserved through memory. And that's something also that we're going to talk about in the future, that we have to frame the world of Islam largely starts without paper. And that the different ways of reading the Mus'haf of Sayyidina Uthman were preserved authentically through memory. There were only around 40 people who were scribes around the Prophet And that was a large number of people. But we have to appreciate that most people at that time couldn't read. I learned, subhanAllah, some of the Qur'an from one of my teachers, Shafawiyan by listening and reading it back, listening and reading it back. And even some of the, the books that we learned, some of the classical texts of Arabic, we had to memorize by listening, not by reading, because it came from a different system. So remember this, that the Mus'haf of, of Uthman, Yahwi, it allows for those different ahruf, although Sayyidina Uthman preserves it in the lahja of the people of Hijaz. We'll talk about that later on. But here's something to think about that shows that the different qira'at are based on transmission, not ijtihad and logic. So, for example, the word ghishawa. The word ghishawa appears twice in the Qur'an. Once in Surah Al-Jathiyah and once in Surah Al-Baqarah. وَعَلَىٰ أَبَصَارِهِمْ غِشَاوَةُ وَلَهُمْ غِشَاوَةُ شِينَ with well. Hmm? We go to Surah Jathia and we find the Qurra, there's two differences. One is Rishawa, like we find in Surah Baqarah, 
And those other Imams who all agree, all ten Qurra agree that Surah Baqarah is read Ghishawa. But they differ in Surah Jathiyah on Ghashwa and Ghishawa. Ghashwa and Ghishawa. If they were going to go by their own logic, they read Surah Baqarah Ghishawa, they should read Surah Jathiyah with Ghishawa. But that's not how the Senate is. That's not how the chain of narration is. So it's not about choice. It's about observing the authentic way it was taught. I gave examples earlier of Sirat. The some ulama of Qur'an, from the, the students of the Qurra and the Qira itself, they say Sirat only in Fatiha, and the rest is Sirat with Sa'd. If it was their personal choice, why would they only read Surah Fatiha was seen and the rest was sod? It doesn't make any sense. But that's how the sun it is. That's how the transmission is. There are even rules for how to stop and not make noise. What's called a sakt. Sayyidina Shatibi says, That even like when you read Surah Kafur, This is called sakt. There's rules for how long you should be silent. Not only are the Qur'an worried about what you say and how you say it, but they're also preserving the transmission of how not to say anything. Another example is firqa. We find some ulama of Qur'an, the, the narration that they have shared with us back to the Sahaba, back to Sayyidina Muhammad. This is the only word you'll find that they narrate with a kasra before it in the narration of Asim, heavy, firqa or light, firqa. One word, the rest, firqa, firqa, firqa. Doesn't make any sense if you think about it from a logical perspective, but it shows you that it's aligning with what's called tahrir al-turuq. Another example, and I mentioned it earlier, is hazanan and huznan. This word appears in five places, Surah Yusuf, Surah Tawbah, Surah Fatir, and Surah Qasas. Surah Yusuf twice. And subhanAllah, we find in Surah Tawbah and Surah Tawbah and Fatir agree hazanan. Alhamdulillah, alladhi adhaba anna al-hazan. Hazanan Allah tajma yunfiqun surta tawbah. Hazanan, haznan yani. We find in surta Yusuf, huznun and huznun. No disagreement. Yani he says, innama ashku bathi wa huzni ila Allah. The only place we find the imma of Quran mention different opinions is in surta qasas. لِيَكُونَ لَهُمْ عُدْوًا وَحَزْنًا وَحُزْنًا If those people were doing it on their own logic, you wouldn't find they agree in five places and disagree on one place. That is about the transmission. And when we say disagreement, it doesn't mean that they don't recognize the other qira'ah as being sound. In fact, some of them were students of each other. But in their sanad that they're preserving, their authentic way of preservation, this is how it's been transmitted. So the difference here is not foundational. The difference here is 
uh, the acceptable asanid that go back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And in each one of these, you find beautiful explanations. And I mentioned one of them, Haznan and Huznan, internal anguish, external anguish. But the point is, it's impossible for us to believe that those people would have narrated it exactly the same. They all agree on these and suddenly, you know what, I just feel like I want to be different. So we'll stop here and as we stop, inshallah, uh, we hope this actually creates some questions that we can continue to examine in the future. Because of time, I have to present something that usually is taught in a semester, you know, relatively quick. Um, so let's just talk about quickly, we talked about what we plan to address today is like a quick overview of the idea of transmission. Number two is the Quranic manuscripts and the history of those manuscripts we'll talk about in the future. And the third we plan to talk about in the future, the history of the Tin Qira'at, alhamdulillah, which kind of goes to some of the questions that you're asking. We talked about one of the norms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to send prophets to speak the languages of their people. Number two, that Islam tolerates cultural differences unless they violate the Sharia. We gave examples. Number three, that Islam facilitates learning and having a relationship with Allah. Number four, that Islam seeks to avoid discord over secondary issues and uh, mundane uh, arguments that take people away from foundational things. And that within the revelation of the Quran, recognizing these different lahajat, which are found in the qira'at, which I talked about earlier, which Akbar's question was specifically about, as well as some of the differences that I just showed you, to avoid tribalism and discord and fighting and to get people to focus on tawheed and ibadah. Now as a community, are we focused on secondary issues or foundational issues? Are we fighting over secondary issues or are we worried about the foundational issues? Our own salvation, the salvation of our family, learning and spreading the deen. So for this reason, the Qur'an was sent in different dialects to avoid unnecessary differences and to facilitate people's learning and worship. And these differences we find now, as we'll talk about in the future, in these qira'at, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. We talked about how the Prophet ﷺ clearly expressed how he was taught by Jibreel. We find this in the Qur'an, iqra' bismi rabbik, and of course numerous ahadith. Then the companions of the Prophet like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Umm Salama, Ubay ibn Kab, Sayyidah Aisha and others mentioned that the Prophet taught them the Qur'an and that they would recite the Qur'an in front of him. Then we gave the examples of how historians, and I only gave you a few, wrote extensively on the Qirat, the Qurra, the Asanid of the Qur'an, the preservation of the Qur'an. I gave an example of Imam al-Dhahabi radiallahu anhu, who mentions 1,244 scholars of the Qur'an. And that's one of the things I like to tell people when they want to dismiss something, I ask them, then bring a system or a framework that can unpack and break down the existing framework. Don't just say, I don't believe this. I mean, if you don't want to, that's your business. But your rejection also has to be authenticated. As theirs were, as, as one of our teachers said, no book has been more subjected to the eyes of scholars and, and potential criticism within Islam like the Qur'an in the early days, to preserve the Qur'an, subhanAllah. We also mentioned the Imam Abdul Wahid al-Shafi'i in his book on the history of the seven Imams, it's, mashallah, very large. We mentioned the Imam Ibn al-Jazari and al-Tayba as well as al-Durra, as well as al-Muqaddim al-Jazariya who works to preserve 
the recitation of the Qur'an, the correct tajweed of the Qur'an, as well as going through the different asaneed of the imma of Qira'at. We mentioned Sayyidina Imam al-Shatabi, who was blind, and of course the incredible work he did. Then we talked about the seven major imams, meaning authenticated asaneed of the Qur'an, going back to the Prophet not like imams in fiqh, where imams in fiqh are not only preserving what's authentic, but there's ijtihad. An imam of a qira'ah, there's no ijtihad. He's just preserving one of the authentic ways, although he himself may know more than one authentic way. Like Hamza, uh, excuse me, like Nafi is the student of Abi Jafar al-Madani. Both students of each other. Then we talked about the three type of differences in the qira'at. Number one, the spelling is different, but not the meaning. Number two, there's no differences in the word, but there's a difference in the grammar. Number three, the word and the meaning are different. We talked about ikhtilaf at la ikhtilaf at Then we gave some examples <coughs> of how those differences play out and how it shows us that it is impossible for us to believe that these people are just haphazardly narrating something, but they are sticking to a transmission. And also the fact that there were others who narrated it as well. Not just them, but these are the ones who are more famous and more well-known. We'll stop here, inshallah. If there's any questions, I'm super happy. As you can hear, my, my daughter is ready to party. So alhamdulillah. But I hope, inshallah, this wasn't too hard. I appreciate any critical feedback as well. Alhamdulillah.